Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Michelle Lavretta. Michelle is a television writer, showrunner, and creator of the shows Killjoys and Lost Girl. Uh, so yeah, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us, we usually ask our first question is, where are you in the world? Yeah, at the moment I am in uh, and around Toronto. Um, oh, okay. When both of my shows were picked up, um, I'd been living in the U.S. both times for Lost Girl and for Killjoys, and then I came back when they were shooting. Um, so that's where I remain. And do those shoot in Vancouver? Is the I, I imagine they're no. Canadian productions, or well, they're co- well. Uh, Killjoys is a co-pro, and Lost Girl uh, was a Canadian and then a U.S. acquisition. And both of them shot. Uh, I'm really bad with um, distance and geography, but not far from one another in Toronto um, oh, okay. or sort of the surrounding areas. So that's usually why I end up coming back. Show running, you can certainly do from uh you know having video conferencing from afar in la as most people tend to do um i'm very hands-on and i find it very stressful trying to you know decide a proper a uniform through um through video image so i come home yeah um so let's talk about you we obviously you know mentioned in your bio that you're a television writer you're a showrunner you're a creator of all those shows you know obviously we want to know how you got to that point but first can you clarify for us the difference between those three things because for some people, they might all be synonymous. For the others, they might know. But could you just clarify those? Yeah, I think what makes it complicated is in some cases, it is virtually synonymous. And that's, for the most part, um, been my history and my good fortune. And in that, I mean, um, the shows that I've created, I have also showrun. Um, and because I am a writer first, um, I've also written on the shows that I've created and showrun. So I tend to wear quite a few hats. Um, but the main difference between the two of them tends to be, um, authority and when you came sort of to the project. And by that, I mean, creators are the very first mind. They're the person who, you know, one day has that eureka moment and decides this is a show that I want to make. This is a show I wish I was seeing. Uh, they go ahead and they develop that often with a studio or or a production company. And then if that gets ordered, then the conversation becomes what your level of experience is. Are you going to be allowed to show run by which um, the industry means? Are you going to be the person in charge of the vision, in charge of the production, in charge of the budget? I mean, it's a, you are just in charge of a shit ton. Uh, and if that's the case, then you are also going to be show running your show. If it's not the case, if you're very junior, then sometimes a new person will be brought in and they will be in charge. And, um, and then the third position is the one that everyone's, I think, most familiar with, which is just being a staff writer of some sort on a show, which is putting words on a page and, and helping to make everybody speak and walk and talk and dance. Is there a trajectory or an order in which you get to that point of being a TV show creator or showrunner? The thing that's both beautiful and beautifully maddening about my industry is that there really is no one set path or answer to any of those. So if I were to look back to the very first show that I was ever on, uh, it was created by two gentlemen who were lawyers who had never been in a TV room or written a TV script in their life. But they happened to pitch a series that was based on lawyers. Obviously, they had a lot to bring to the table. Uh, The script that they wrote was uh, of good enough quantity or quality rather that everyone was like, hell yeah, we want to make that. And then they were paired with a showrunner. Uh, so you can create something when you've done absolutely nothing. It is rare. It is not common. Do not mortgage your house planning that. That is probably not going to happen. But you know, there really is no set way. Um, in general, as you sort of proceed up the ranks of 
staff and producing um, chairs in writing rooms, which are very clearly delineated, then yes, there's a point where your agent or the studio will start sort of coming to you and saying, do you want to pitch? Because they're looking for your, they, you know, you've, you've passed the test. You've shown that you have some metal. They like your voice. They've put you on a couple different shows. Usually I find that, particularly in the U.S. system, there's enough people out there that are hawks for talent. It is their job to find people that are going to make them look good and that are going to make them money. And so they tend to look out for who, is, who it is that can bring me a good pitch. Before you do that, when you're just starting out, you're beating down doors to try to be allowed in to make your pitch. Um, so there really is, it depends on where you strike gold, whether you strike fast and early and just kind of by chance you have one great idea, uh, or whether you've sort of been more workmanlike and putting your time and they're asking you what ideas you have. But it really is um, the privilege of creating, which I am thrilled to have had, is a rarity. Um, and it's something that not everybody necessarily achieves. And I don't know that everybody necessarily shoots for, but I think they tend to either want that path or the show running path. And as I said, sometimes get both and sometimes don't. You mentioned breaking down doors in order to get the opportunity to pitch. What was your journey to get to that point? Did you just have an idea and pitch or did you kind of have multiple you know, scripts that you wrote? And what was your journey to get to that point? I came up through the Canadian system um, and I had a lot of very good luck right out of the gate. I was also, I did a feature film when I was, I think I was like 21. And it was just like as indie as indie can be. It was adorably indie. We had no money, but it, it did well. I mean, it's it made, uh, well, first of all, it got made, which is nice. It got exhibited. It uh, got shortlisted for, for Con. It got uh, nominations for the uh, Canadian awards that we have for features. So it did well enough that when I went into the television world already, at least a little bit of, of cachet, enough to, as I said, get in those doors to make a pitch. But the first time I got into development, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is the best part of the industry. If you are a sweet, naive, ignorant asshole, you will find yourself unwittingly sometimes tripping into successful situations because you don't know enough to keep your mouth shut. So I was just having a meeting and had just mentioned some idea that I'd had. I didn't intend to make a pitch. I would have peed my pants if I thought this was literally a pitching a network executive. I was just chatting. But whatever I said, um, they liked and they said, that sounds great. Do you want to come back and give the pitch? I said, no. Wow. <laughs> I was like, no, no, that sounds really terrifying. Can we just keep talking about it? And they said, okay. And I left that very first meeting I ever had with a net exec uh, with a development deal. Oh, wow. So, you know, yeah, like that's what I mean. I, it, it's, I always have enormous empathy for people that want to find the rules because rules are comforting. Rules make you believe that there's a scalable mountain here. There's a set path. There is a map. There is none of that. But I hope people will look at that as a good thing, as a, if you look at somebody's metric and you envy it and you wish you had taken that path, the best thing to remember is that that path wouldn't have worked for you. You are not failing by your standards. You just have to figure out what door it is that you have to kick. So you had an unintentional pitch. A lot of people spend their whole lives waiting for that intentional pitch, but you had an unintentional pitch and somehow just kind of were able to turn that into an actual pitch. Yeah, it was like a meet and greet. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's um, you know, as I said, it's it's not a static uh, situation. But I am an inherently positive person. I will say it is uh, bordering on the obnoxious. But I um, I think it has given me comfort because I've been able to sort of look at stuff like that and say, okay, well, um, everybody out there, the privilege that we have as writers, and never give this up. Never let go of this power that you have in your heart. We make shit happen. 
and they need us. They need our stories. They need it to make money. They need it to hire a cast. They need it for a director to have something to shoot. We are the fucking engine. So if you hold that in your heart and you realize that as long as you do the best that you can and you are a good person to work with, don't be a jerk because that'll cut out opportunities under your legs as it should. Um, But create the content. That's what you have control of. And then if you are able to get into the right circles, and that is obviously we can talk more about that's progression and a difficulty, but people are going to want your shit. Just hold that in your heart because it's it's a really hard challenge until you get there. So let's talk about you as a creator. Um, you know, we talked about the being a writer, being a showrunner, being a creator specifically. Um, did that start for you with that pitch? Is that the moment at which you're a creator when you come up with that idea and you're like, oh, I have this idea and I, I kind of want to make this? Or at what point do you officially get that title, so to speak? Yes. Um, typically, well, it depends. I mean, the, the, the factory that we are as a business is sort of multi-tiered, but the two tiers that are sort of important to this are development versus production. So the development stage, there's a lot of money and a lot of time that is sunk into that. Um, it's really freaking enjoyable to me. It is one of my favorite stages. A lot of writers despise it, but that is the part where you are getting paid. You don't often, I mean, that's changing a bit now, but certainly in the early days, you didn't really have a room that would help you develop. It was just you. Uh, If you were paired with a production company, you would have a production exec, you would have a net exec, but it's this smaller group of people trying to come up with what this concept is. Obviously, you were the one coming up with it, but you were getting notes and you're getting sort of finessing and requests and sort of a directional hints from the people who may go on and make or buy this. Uh, so in that stage, you are a creator, but you're a creator in stasis and in, in gestation. You are creating something that may never become more than what it is on the page. Usually you write what's called a Bible. I love Bibles. Again, a lot of writers hate it. It's basically a document that lays out who the people are, what the situation is, um, perchance what the sets are going to be like, what the vibe is, if there's a theme, what episodes might um, be like in terms of structure and content. So it's, it can be quite an involved document. I like it to be. And that to me is a, is a, it's a written conversation that you're having with this small group of people saying, this is this amazing fucking wacky idea I have. This is what it will look like, taste like, feel like, smell like. I fucking love it. Do you love it? And it's constantly that. It's do you love it? You're trying to sell this to them. And if they do love it, the next stage is you're going to write your script. Your script is going to be usually a pilot um, on Lost Girl and on some other series. What they ask for is a sample episode instead, which I find bonkers and probably wouldn't do again. Um, Difference there being that with a sample episode, you're just saying a hypothetical episode 10. This is what it will feel like. This is what you would be buying. Wow, that's crazy. So you're writing an episode. Yeah, in the I know. Middle so, of the uh, wow, interesting. What is the reasoning for that? Yeah. Do you think? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that when they first asked me to do that for Lost Girl, that they had just decided that that was in vogue, that people were doing that. And I think that certainly back then there were more procedural episodes, excuse me, procedural um, series, because right. that was got, I don't know, 12 years ago, something. I don't even know. Um, but with procedural shows, you know, you're like, okay, here's CSI episode 10. I understand the rationale behind that. And what they're saying is show me what I might be buying in my basket in, you know, episode 10 or episode four or whatever it is. And then if I like it, we can talk about how your pilot would be the best way to sort of introduce this world. But when you're creating shows the way that I create them, they're very world forward. Um, they're very, they're fabricated by whole cloth. It is not usually the culture or the, um, it's not real world. Let's put it that way. I, I work in spec. I work in, in genre. And so for me, I, I don't know how to tell you something that's serialized and guess where I'm going to be in six or seven. But whether they say sample episode or pilot, that's your next stage is to write the script. And a lot of things live or die on the script. 
Now, from there, a lot of different things can happen. If you've done the best you can with your Bible, you've done the best with your script, they like the concept, but maybe you haven't quite nailed it, or they're just kind of shitty politically and think that you're too young or they need somebody shiny, they may bring someone else in to rewrite that script, and that person would be basically auditioning to be the showrunner. Um, but the only time you get the creator credit to your initial question that is on a screen is if your show actually gets made. And that's kind of the goal. Does the creator choose the writers? You mentioned there are sometimes writers in the writer's room. Does the creator choose that or who chooses those writers? That depends on whether we're talking about the development stage or the production stage. So it, or well, prep as well. So if you're in development, um, they generally want to support the creator. Again, if you're very new, they might bring in and, and often you're paired at that stage where they say, we just think you need something more, someone more senior in the room to guide this. So at that point, you might not have the uh, authority to pick everybody. But the only way I've done it um, is if it's just me, and, and that I think is fairly common. Um, and if you were to have development room, which by the way, I tend to say I don't want to do. <laughs> a lot of writers do development rooms. It's sort of, uh, you get money, so that's great. Uh, and again, this this is co- current in the Canadian system right now. I'm not as sure as where it stands in the US system, but you get paid, you get a small writer's room, you get a certain number of scripts going. But my philosophy is always, I can't use more than one script as a sample. So my time is valuable. I will write you one script, maybe I'll write you two scripts, but I don't want to do more than that because either decide that you want the show or don't want the show. Um, but don't spend my time spinning wheels. Cause you know what? Writing's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> Every script is a lot of work. And if the show's not going to go with that person, I, I want to know that. And I want to either take it to someone else or come up with something else I'd rather spend my time with. Um, but once you get into the prep stage and your show is a go, then the showrunner is the person who picks the writing room. So if the creator is the showrunner, then de facto they are picking it. If the creator is just somebody who's in the room and a senior writer is showrunning it, um, they hopefully have some input, but the showrunner decides. And you mentioned the scripts. Can we go through the script process? Yes, if you want to take me back to all that pain. <laughs> so when you say pain, why do you associate those two things when, when you look at uh, writing a script? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, listen, I think that you're also talking to a showrunner who is just recently uh, fully officially wrapped her second series. And so there's a lot of fatigue that happens at the end of that process. You're pushing a rock up a beautiful hill, but by the end of that hill, you're like, holy Christ, I'm tired. So to me, writing is, um, it is both my happy place and kind of semi-torturous. And I think that really is fairly common for most writers. And I think that's good and healthy and normal. So, um, but the process of writing when you're on a go show on top of that adds the pressure of time and budget. And so going through the stages of script writing has a different pressure on it than when you are just in your early stages and you're writing largely for yourself or for your fears. When you are a showrunner, you are no longer writing for yourself entirely. You're writing for an actor, a production, a fan base, a studio for people to make their mortgages. There's the pressure of the show not ending. Like it's, it's all of those things that sort of make it harder for you to find that sweet spot that you used to have when you could just be about the words. And you, you don't ever entirely lose that. Um, it's just covered up a little bit by, by additional pressures. How many chefs are in the proverbial kitchen that is uh, a script? Who, who's in that conversation and, and how does it get annoying with all, all those people in there and giving all those notes? No, I have to say one of the things I'm really thrilled about is um, in general, just by my nature, I am not 
I don't think anyway, antagonistic and confrontational when it comes to notes. Um, we had a, a panel with a bunch of showrunners not long ago, and we were all basically talking about notes and, and um, how sometimes, yes, you can hate them. But the thing that I hate about them is when the note is right, because when the note right. is right, I'm like, oh, I have so much work to do to correct that because you're right. That is a shitty this, shitty that, whatever the case may be. Um, but in general, uh, what happens is, do you want me to go sort of like the very yeah. start the writing? Of the sure. Script? Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Okay. So what happens is basically you get together, hopefully a bang ass writer's room, and it's a bunch of people who are going to spend more time looking at each other's faces and smelling each other's stink than they're going to be spending <laughs> with their family for, you know, six months, eight months, however long your show is. And so you're goal is to put together a group of people who, or at least the way I do it, that are kind, um, who are creative, because I think that creativity lives and dies an openness, I would say. So if you get these people together and they're supporting each other, then um, what happens is you and your showrunner go through at the beginning of the season and it's called prep uh, or usually have a writer's development room for, you know, however many weeks you're going to have. And it depends show to show and it's never enough. Usually the writer's room is going to get fucked over when they're trying to cut budget, which is the dumbest thing to do because you need all that time. But say la vie. Um, so everybody gets together and you map out what you want the season to be. So you basically eat a lot of food, drink a lot of coffee, tell a lot of embarrassing stories about <laughs> yourself, and everybody kind of gels. You get a feel of where is this road trip we're all on together heading? What is our destination? Where are our major shops? What are we sight or stops rather? What are we sightseeing? Who's gonna fuck who? Like it's 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 that stuff. It's your own sort of internal journey becomes its own road trip movie. And then what you're doing is saying, This is our season. This is this is our our little thing that we're putting together and you start putting cards up on boards and you start plot plotting sort of like your, um, your journey, where you're going to go, where your big turns are. Once you've done that clear enough, usually what you have to do is pitch a network, pitch a studio, pitch a production company saying, guys, this is what we're thinking. And, and they'll come in and you will start getting your notes. Then you, you had a bunch of development, but this is just talking from this stage onwards. So their notes might be, that's a little similar to a show that we have just so you know, or, um, you know, we really want this to be more of a romance or we're moving away from sodic structure and we want a more serialized arc. Can you give us that? So they're giving you basically headline notes saying, you know, try to work this stuff in where you're comfortable unless they're dogmatic assholes, in which case they try to insist. Um, I fortunately have not had that. So at that point, you have all, all these cards kind of laying out, here's our big turns. And they're starting to break down into, let's say, if you're 10 episodes, starting to break down into your 10 episodes. You can see where those big turns are. So now you start with episode one, if it's not written, and you say, how do we start? And then you start doing episode two, episode three. And as those episodes are broken, and I'll let you sort of guide me on how <laughs> detailed you want me to tell you sure. the process is. But as you break them down, you assign them. And an assignment is your showrunner turning to the writer in the room. You usually try to start with some of your seniors because they're often people you know and have worked with. And you understand um, how much that you will or will not likely have to rewrite them. And you are going to be tired. So you want to sort of uh, get some help at the top. So you assign those people episode two, episode three, episode four. And one by one, you sort of collectively fine break, usually, and every show is different, but you fine break with the room, all of the writers, writers that aren't going to touch a word on that script. You all sit around and again, you eat and you have coffee and you tell off color jokes. And then at some point you make a point about the episode. <laughs> and it, it helps break that episode. 
Um, and finally the writer is like, yeah, I got it. This is good. And they go off and they write a, depending on what your show is, it could be a pitch concept, it could be a fully developed, um, outline. It's sort of whatever the first stage is and you go from there. And that's basically how the, the early first step of each episode begins. And is that a, is there a particular number of episodes that you're looking at it like that? Are you looking at it all episodes and kind of developing them out at the same level or are you picking a few at a time? Usually for us, it takes about a week to break an episode. And usually you're hoping by Friday of that week, you're done halfway through your Friday. So you can start spitballing with the writer of the next episode Got it. Um, on Friday afternoon saying, you know, what do we think it would be? But typically you, it's a march and there's a certain point where as the writer, uh, as the showrunner, because everybody goes off. So when they go off to write their outline or go off to write their draft, there's a period of time where those writers aren't going to be in the room. So usually you get to a certain stage and we like to get your goal in your first season is to get, or at least ours was about six episodes, fairly well-crafted. Some of them complete drafts before you go to prep. And that's because when you start prep and prep is the term for once all the other um, heads of departments start. So prep's a very important stage. Could be seven weeks, could be 10 weeks, depends on what your budget is. Uh, but those people are starting to build your sets. They're starting to, hopefully you've done all your casting, but often you haven't. So you're also doing that. And so what those people and those key departments need is an impression of what is this season so that they can be economical in, in terms of what are you going to need in your first episodes. So you tend to try and get as many up front as you can, but then you need to take a break. And by that, I don't mean you don't show up to work, which would be <laughs> awesome. Um, you stop breaking those episodes for a while because you need to take a breath. You need your networks to say, we're killing episode four. You don't need them to, let me phrase. You really hope they don't, <laughs> but right. they may. You know, So you need room for them to say their piece. You need time as a showrunner to write your first episode or two episodes. So usually it's, yeah, five or six that are fully broken take a break and then everybody regroups and tries to do the next episodes and a lot will have changed. You have to then regroup and look at the board and say, okay, all these things we plotted as our stops on the road trip or our main plot turns, um, some of them have just happened to change. As we shot, we didn't like this character or uh, we really liked this uh, actor better than we thought we would or blah, blah, blah. So it's all, it's all very fungible and, and in flux. And uh, it really is everybody on deck. All the writers in the room have a piece of, of making the machine move forward. And as you're working on those scripts, at what point did pre-production start and the actual, you know, shooting everything come into play? Well, you get, uh, as I said, a certain number of weeks off for a writer's development where it's just all of you. And that's kind of my favorite time sometimes. Uh-huh. And then you get the prep stretch and that depends on your budget and whether you're first season, you're going to need more time with your first season. Um, your production designer is usually the person spearheading everything. Uh, and they're the person who is going to be in conversations with your line producer and your showrunner to say, look, I need, I absolutely need X numbers of weeks in order to get, uh, for us, we're building spaceships, we're building, you know, worlds and stuff like that. So, um, your first season, since that stuff is so visually driven and so changeable based upon who is creating it, um, you have to get a lot of sign off from your networks and your production company thinking, oh yeah, that's how I pictured that. Or I didn't picture it, but I like it. Versus if you're just doing a cop shop, you're going to probably be able to whack that up a little faster because it's based on real world. So we tend to have a, a as much time as we can there. You also are getting your visual effects company in line. Your VFX people are going to come in and they're going to talk as well with your, uh, if you have a lead director, you're hiring them at that time. And they're all sort of discussing how can we shoot this thing? What is our look? So prep is a very important period of time because because you run out of time for those conversations once everybody is actually making the product. 
or the the cheese or whatever you want to call it, the sausage. So that phase ends when you have finished your first week or two, however long your your thing is, of actual prep on your first episode. And that's hard prep. And that means everybody has now been hired. Everybody has now been cast. Um, actors are having measurements taken. It's all about that first episode or two based on whether you're shooting it solo or as a block. Um, and then it's that fully ends the first day you go to camera. And when you go to camera, all bets are off. Everything is moving. Um, and that's an entirely different beast of its own. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience Podcast has been self-funded from the beginning. So whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash writer experience. You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com, and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now... Back to the show. And as a creator, when the production starts, I'm assuming you're spending uh, half your time kind of on set, half your time kind of still with the writers working on the, the future episodes. How do you balance that? And what's your like day in the life look like on a day of a set? I, I would love somebody to tell me how to balance all that. Because <laughs> I have yet to figure that out. Um, I think that showrunners come in, in, you know, we're, we're writer ice cream. They come in a lot of different flavors. And so some of us are um, very production driven and really want to be on set all the time or just feel that the set needs us to be on there all the time. Some of us feel like we're room hawks and we have to be in there making sure that the story is all and the story is most important. Um, some of us are sort of better at delegating those responsibilities to sort of other key people and want to be uh, handling more of the production meetings. We have to do all of those things. Keep in mind, there's nobody gets to sort of not do any of them, but the typical day really involves all of them. Once production starts or, or the hard prep of those, of the first episode starts, you are constantly in meetings as a showrunner. You are constantly looking at your phone in meetings as a showrunner because you're getting 6,000 emails from various people involved with the show. Uh, I have a difficulty, which is really shit as a showrunner. I cannot write at work. Which is ridiculous, but I can't because I'm, yeah, it's, it's, I've got a lot of writers I love and adore and have had on my shows that can write on set. They just bring their little tea to set and <laughs> they're, they're typing while things are being shot. I have nothing but cold hard envy for that. I think it's amazing. Um, but so for me, there's the added thing of, okay, and then I have to find a time where I can go home and actually write be at 10 o'clock at night or four in the morning or whatever it is. So your day is various slices of very different pies. And somehow you just eat them all. And, uh, and by the end of the season, you pretty much want to vomit from it. But it is a very specific job. It is a very left and right brain in tandem job. It is a very, I am a head of a company. I am a head of HR. I am a friend and ally to a director on a set. I am a dancing, singing salesman to the networks. It is that thing. Like you really, you have to do all of it. And why is it that you prefer to be home? Is it the environment for you? Well, I think it's both. I I do not like being looked at. I'm just not a center of attention person, which is not that uncommon for writers. So set, there is always a bit of a visual target on you on set because you're the boss of all things. And so people want approval for things. They want questions answered. You also, when you see a problem happening, there's two things. One, you have to step in and say, okay, I have to fix this, solve this, be political in the way that I do it all that. And the other is looking at something and saying, I actually can't fix that because sometimes you just can't. That's the, the way that something has happened. 
And so now I have to sit here and watch that. And I find that sort of draining because really I'm like, I'm a, what I'm seeing usually is something that has to be fixed in three episodes from now. So I really have to run back to the room and say, Hey, X isn't working. Let's figure it out. But I can't do that sitting on a set. Like to me, it's, I find that when I'm on a set, I am, I feel like as and I'm on there far more often in your first seasons, cause you're setting everything up and you're setting tone. But in later seasons, if you've done well and had a set where people want to come back to, which thank God we have, we've got an amazing set of, of crew and keys that typically put off other work to come back to us. And so usually I'm like, I love these people and these people got it. They, they know it. They know my voice. We have directors that they love and trust uh, and that I trust. And so my time is better spent forecasting future problems and trying to fix them rather than looking at Fusha at the moment. And the other thing is that when you're a showrunner, everybody wants to come to your office. So yes, I do write there sometimes, but I have to have an assistant literally outside my door because then they can kind of block people from knocking and saying, when's the script coming, which is usually what your AD will do. And then as far as, you know, you described your job as showrunner slash creator during the production process. I know your uh, work on Killjoys just recently wrapped. What does the completion of that process look like? Can you describe like your past month or so? Well, then the last stage is post and post is its own very specific creative entity and challenge, Um, particularly when you're doing something that is sci-fi, that is very VFX driven compared to, you know, uh, some other formats of shows. So typically what happens is uh, usually while the show is still being shot, you are editing your first episodes. I have a right-hand executive producer um, partner who I adore, Karen Trebetskoy, who has been there since the beginning and um, who is amazing, amazing, amazing. And I've been able to survive because I trust her and she's been able to go in and take on things like sort of early editing of, uh, I'm thinking of early seasons now, of the episodes because I'm literally in the middle of writing finales and helping shoot them and it's hard to sort of find the time to go and do that. So she would do that. But then as soon as you finish production, literally we would go to like the wrap party. And then the next day, Karen and I would be at editing at like 10 in the morning and you would have a 12 hour day because now we're trying to make up for time. And I've come in and I had notes that have undone a few things. And so when you're in post, you are looking at all of the raw material that's been shot and you are making various stages of cuts. So it's like what you do with your scripts, various stages, but now you're doing it with visual material rather than written on the page. And by the end of it, what you get, and you're getting notes from your network and notes from your production company or and your studio. But what happens is at the end of that, you have each episode locked. Once an episode is locked, it means you've got it visually exactly where you want it, given what you have as material. Then you hand that over to your other post departments. So your sound people are coming in and trying to do the sound effects, your score, you meet with your um, people who are doing your score and who are buying your music. And you go through it and say, this is what we're thinking here. And they come up with ideas. And then you're also in tandem with your visual effects crew who are now starting to deliver. You know, you would just have a (laughs) a really weird wonky slug on the screen saying, you know, visual effects shot here, a badass sequence of, you know, space fight. And you're like, yep, I hope that's awesome. (laughs) They also have, you know, all of their stages of, you know, wire stages and and full fleshed out stages. And um, so that takes them a long time. Uh, Once all those things are put together, you have what's called playback. And you, or first you have your mix and then your playback where you listen to everything and you have sound cut in with your visual. Everybody gives their notes. You make the fixes you can. And then that's fully done, except for packaging where they go in and they, you know, put everybody's names in and and, um, slugs and such. So 
that is actually quite involved if you're the type of showrunner that stays throughout this, the process, which I have been with Karen at my side. Um, the last uh, season, which we split into two, I have pulled back and Adam Barkin is now our showrunner, another person I adore. And so he's been taking more of that. But it's still such a long process that usually as soon as we are finished, I have three or four days before we start hiring writers for the next season. So it is a a really, really long step that nobody else takes with you. All the writers are off. All your actors are off. The crew is no longer shooting your show. But it's it's a really involved and exciting thing that showrunners do that writers don't really get to be a part of. And at what point, uh, as far as the future of the show, what point do you know whether you're going to be doing another season? Well, it's um, it's tense. It's fraught. It's show lives and dies a different way. Um, and so you never know. You're never promised five seasons, even if you've arced it out in your head and your heart, um, even if you've arced it on a page. Nobody buys five seasons. Uh, sometimes they buy two, which is exciting. But every time you write that finale of a season, you're like, shit, this could be the last one. And the unfortunate part is a lot of times the people who are deciding whether they reorder you or not have to wait a really long time because, I mean, I've never been in their boots, but I'm sure it's pretty tense for them as well because they all have the ones they want to fight for that they've been taking notes on and that they love. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of like some kind of a, um, fight club, I'm sure of which shows live, which ones die. So by the time they tell you, basically they usually don't want to order until they know what their other slots are, because, you know, it's like they're weighing and measuring if this one goes, that one can't, blah, blah, blah. So by the time you find out whether you go, sometimes you're already behind for you really where you want to start your next season. But that's just, that's just the business. You just never get the time or money that you want. And, um, you just kind of go for the ride. You mentioned that at one point you worked on a first feature. How did you get good at what you do in the first place? Obviously, you produced that feature. What did the years leading up to that look like? And why science fiction as well? I don't think I'm ever going to be as good at what I do as I will want. And I'm totally fine with that. I think that that's actually a good headspace for most writers to live in as long as it doesn't involve you know, self-hatred. I just think it is what it is. But I had very early success. I, I don't come from a family of writers. I don't come from anybody who writes. I don't know anybody who's been in the freaking industry. I um poet as a kid. I got published very early. I got published at 12. I had um, the Canadian ambassador to India accept an award for me for poetry in India when I was 12. All of those things made me think like, okay, so maybe I should be doing this. But then I chickened out. <laughs> I thought, who the fuck makes a living writing? So maybe I'll be a lawyer. Maybe I'll... So I did the same thing as most people where I just went to school. But I went to school for, like, I think it was communications, you know? Like, uh, and I thought, I'll, be, I'll try to be like John Grisham. I'll become a lawyer. And then maybe at night, I'll, I'll write a book because it just didn't seem legitimate. I just... Who does this for a living? Um, and the answer, frankly, is not many. Um, so, but I just... I got lucky. I I decided one day when I was in school and I watched a movie and I hadn't watched a movie for a very long time. And I think I was in my first year of school and um, I sat in theater and I was like, God, I just m miss this. And I love this. And I leaned to my friend and I said, I'm quitting school and I'm going to um, go for a, to a film school. And that was it. And um, I did. And in the film school that I went to, um, or from the department of a school, I went to um, the person who was teaching me screenwriting optioned the class project that I did and that became the feature and so it sort of it just kind of rolled it just sort of I went along with the role and I don't want to be disingenuous and be like I wasn't being tactical and I wasn't trying I was working my ass off but I didn't know what the hell to do 
it just was good fortune. And I, there's a Canadian, um, Norman Jewison started a school here called the Canadian Film Center, which is amazing. And it basically teaches you how to write television. And that's where I learned TV was basically in a room with a showrunner on a mock show saying, here's how we do this. And then again, fucking lucky, that show actually got made and the showrunner said, I want to do your script. And so the first TV script I did also got made and I got paid for it. So I've been very, very lucky. So I'm going to take a bit of a break and just kind of, <laughs> you know, um, decide what I want to do because, you know, luck doesn't last forever. But also I, I want to keep being challenged and I want to keep being excited. And I, I want to be able to support other writers, young writers that I meet and love and try and help them get their shit done. You know, I just, I'm at that stage in my career now where I am hungry for some new stuff. And, and that feels good. It feels good to be there again. Is there an intersection uh, between being a creator, being a showrunner for a TV show, and let's say being a director or a producer for a major motion picture? I know you've already directed an indie when you were younger. Is that something that you want to get back into? I didn't direct the indie. Oh, okay. I just, I just wrote it. Got it. But I shouldn't suggest writing is important. But um, I, the first film that I did when it started doing uh, film festival circuits is when I realized how disempowered and sort of disrespected writers tend to be. There's a, a story I tell sometimes that when I went towards the film festival, there was a uh, opening night gala and we were one of the films and there was um, a pavilion and an inside party. And the inside party was where the VIP people went. And so I'm walking towards it with my director and the producer and the his husband and I get tickets to the tent and they go to the inside. I was like, okay, okay, it's cool. It's fine. You know, this is, I, I'm out here and this, there's this, I needed tickets and I got tickets. That's awesome. And I'm in there and on the wall are these big blow ups of pages of, of scripts that are in contention for the awards. And one of them is mine. And so I'm standing literally looking at a page of my script blown up like 30 feet on a wall and start chatting with the dude and, and saying, how did you get tickets? And he said, I got tickets for putting up posters. And I said, what poster did you put up? And he named my movie. And I realized that I got tickets to the party, same level of awesomeness as the guy who put up posters for the thing that I wrote. And I thought, I maybe don't want to do film right now. I just, if this is, if this is the way that this works, then I need something where I have more power and I have more authority. And that is why I got into television is I started realizing at that point what the showrunner does, the uh, responsibility on their shoulders, but also the control that they can have over content. And that is what I need. Um, if I get into film again, I think it would be to write something fun that I am not emotionally attached to and let people run with that. And then, you know, maybe not kill myself with drafts, etc. But in television, the showrunner is in charge. And that is where I like to be. Is there one thing in your journey that you've learned that you want to, if you had to choose one thing, pass on to aspiring writers who are listening? One thing I've learned? Hmm. I've honestly, and this is going to sound dopey as shit, but I feel like the thing I'm meant to learn, I haven't learned yet. You know, well, I would say this. One thing that I have learned about show running is just strictly, it, it's strictly a personal thing. I've realized that there's this, the measure of a showrunner and the challenge of being a showrunner is about two qualities, decision-making and endurance. Those are the two skills that you need. Yes, obviously you need to write, you need to be, you know, good with people, blah, 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 all of those things, they all matter. But the two core traits that you need are decision-making and endurance. And in the end, um, the reality of my endurance is I believe that a series is a marathon and then I think I'm a sprinter. And I think I'm also whatever those people are that hand the baton. 
what's that? I don't know what that is. I'm that. Um, I relay. Uh, I, I'm drawn to that thing. I am drawn to development. I think I am very good at, uh, coming up with concepts with world creation and with passionately developing that and selling that to people. I think that that is every writer has, you know, various size skills of, of different things. And, and I think that's one of the ones that I'm good at. So I think the thing that I have learned that other writers need to learn as they go through is who are they? You know, it's okay to not be every type of writer, every type of showrunner. It's also okay to not want to be a showrunner. I've, I've met enough writers now that have seen the size of the job and are like, you know what? I might not want that. Um, find out who you are. Don't expect to know it right away. Don't expect it not to change. Just sort of investigate yourself. What is it you want? At the beginning, what you want is a job and God bless. That's what you want. Take it, take it and know that you're probably going to be fucked over and it's probably going to be potentially shitty. Don't give up. The first job is your first step, you know, but as you're going through, be critical and not of your work, but critical thinking of what you want and pay attention to the next steps ahead, the next five steps and target how you get to them as quickly as you can. And, uh, I think that's, that's sort of what I've learned. And I think why I, I sort of got ahead fairly quickly was being analytical in that sense and knowing that was the step I wanted. I wanted the show running step. It was important and sort of being tactical in terms of what jobs I took, what jobs I said no to and what jobs I left. And all of that is something that every writer needs to learn on their own scale. Amazing. Are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? <laughs> um, I don't know, Court. Am I? You can opt out if you want. Okay. You can, you can, uh, you can set, set it out. I'll just ask them and then... Uh, <laughs> all right. So first one, in your Twitter bio, you mentioned that you'd rather be fighting orcs is that a Lord of the Rings reference or a Dungeons and Dragons reference? It's neither. It's uh, most of the stuff that I loved growing up was um, chicks with swords on books. Um, cool. That's basically the, the category of, of books. And so that comes from um, just my early reading days. Amazing. Next question. Uh, you mentioned the Canadian system and the U.S. system film-wise are different. What are the differences between those two systems? Well, the Canadian system um, wasn't as creator or showrunner driven as it has started to be in the last you know, five years. The American system was much more cognizant of the fact that the person uh, making the content is the person that you need to uh, support. There are a lot of productions that were shot here where the showrunners didn't show up. They would sort of stay in the U.S., which is why I didn't want to be part of that. Because what ended up happening is that the production company, the executives, the line producers accrued more power, and they didn't want to give that up. They started becoming antagonistic, I think, towards creators and showrunners. And I think that that makes bad TV. So fortunately, that has started to turn. Another thing that is a huge difference is that, and I've worked in both systems, and I was sort of shocked when I first found this out, the American system contract, contracts the fuck out of you. They contract you for usually a minimum of three years and you can't develop. And my favorite thing to do is develop. So if, for instance, Warner Brothers contracts you on for one of their shows, usually, and it depends where you are on the um, hierarchy, but usually it's like, well, you can't even, even take them a pitch for X number of seasons because they want to know that your head is in the show. And the difference in the Canadian system is as a showrunner, I leave my own shows. Like I'm not even contracted for three seasons. I every wow. year say I will come back or I won't come back and I, you know, renegotiate, et cetera. But um, the plus side is that Canadian writers have flexibility. They can take on a bunch of different things. The downside for me as a showrunner is that I have no guarantee season to season who my writers will be. And because I tend to have good friends that I hire who are showrunners in their own right, um, that means often every season I'm rebuilding the room. 
So there's pluses and minuses, but those are the big differences between the two. Second to last question, uh, you mentioned earlier, very early in the show, um, part of being a showrunner slash creator uh, is being a good person will kind of get you a little farther. Is that true? How does that work? I think it's true, and I refuse to look at anything that tells me I <laughs> So um, certainly good people, and, and I'm sure if somebody were to break out some sort of whack-ass Excel sheet, you'd say, <laughs> you know, of all the people that are um, successful shows, are some of them toxic jerks? Um, I'm sure some are. You know, uh, personally, I have to live in a world in my own head where I believe that there is a karma, you know, that there is a world in which if you are an asshole, writers aren't going to work for you again, you know, and, and they're, they'll leave your show. They'll leave their own show. I, I have to believe in that. I just don't have any fucking patience for jerks. I just don't have any patience. And you know what? I don't, I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you're an actor. There's a lot of people that when an actor um, freaks out on set, I will constantly talk to late people who are like, yeah, but it was a tense scene or he's a bad day. I'm like, I don't give a shit. There's surgeons out there that lost the patient, you know, like handle your shit. Don't be an asshole. Every once in a while, you're going to have a bad day. That's fine. That's human. But, but toxicity isn't something that you should be able to wield as a baton to people below you and be excused for it because you had a hard day. I just have no patience for it. It's never going to exist in my rooms. I have to believe that the successful shows are run and increasingly will be run now that we're running out of patience for jerks um, by decent people. So that, that's what I have to believe. <laughs> All right. And then lastly, what is on the horizon for you? I know you, you said that you don't quite know the fate of, of what's coming up, but are you working on other projects? Are you, what are your goals? Like what, what's coming up that we can look forward to? Well, part of why I scaled back um, and handed over the show running reins in the last 20 episodes, which is technically a season. It was contracted as a season, but it will, it will air as two. Part of why I pulled back was because there was a show um, that I had started developing and I don't like doing, I don't multitask well. And I think, again, as a writer, it's, it's sort of incumbent upon you to know your strengths and weaknesses. And, and I don't have the strength of multitasking. So, but then when they ordered the 20 episodes, that kind of made that hard because even with me at my reduced input, it's more input than I want to put into something while developing something else. So I put the developing thing on ice and I've said, I don't want to talk to anybody about it until probably sometime in 2019. I just, I need a break. But even at that stage, I honestly don't know. You know, I, um, I have been privileged to be show running for quite a long time now. I am so gratified to have created these two different worlds. I don't necessarily want to give that joy up because it really is a joy, but I've kind of forgotten what it's right. Uh, what it's like rather to write po uh, prose. You know, I haven't run um, or written a feature in a really long time. So there's all these other kinds of written expression, which are now kind of a bit appealing to me because I don't want to stop writing. Um, but I, I am looking for some sort of a, I don't know, just a, a break, a, a new challenge. And I don't know how long that would last. I follow the voices in my head and if the voices in my head are a TV series and that's what I'm going to write. But for now I'm writing myself, um, doctor's orders for a nap. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think that's it. So I think you should. Uh, <laughs> we encourage you to go take that nap. Um, thank you for uh, extending that time before the nap to make that time for us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Did you want to shout out your Twitter or social media? Nah. <laughs> that's fine too. 
That's totally cool. <laughs> Don't contact me. I'm taking a nap. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst at careering. All of those things. I'm like, eh, no. I'll, all good. I'm, I'm not really hugely on this notion. <laughs> but I will say what I do really genuinely appreciate. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And I will thank you for that. Because, yes, people have to do press for shows and all that. But I really think it's valuable to be talking about process and to Absolutely. demystify it for everybody. And I think it's really great that you're doing that. Absolutely. I think that for a lot of aspiring writers, there's it almost seems um, to some people like untouchable, like they need this inspiration or they feel like maybe they can't get to that level. So I think that's a big part of bridging that gap. It's like learning what you do and kind of feeling like, oh, like she's just a regular person like like I am. So Yeah, and if you demystify it, it's, it's, there's a lot of people out there who, I mean, shit, I was, I was from like Newmarket, Canada, right? So <laughs> there's a lot of people who are not in the central areas of TV or film who don't think they can do it, but I mean, they can. And so I just as a writer, I appreciate you doing this. So thank you. Thank you as well. All right, Michelle, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.